God, Mother and Father of us all, may these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. A capable wife who can find her. If you weren't in on the joke on the first reading, I promise we didn't plan it. Uh, Ellis substituted in for a reader who couldn't be here this morning, and I didn't think about what the reading was until he started reading. (laughs) If you don't understand yet, it happens that your priest is married to a very capable husband. (laughs) And let me say, as a point of personal privilege, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. This reading is a bit difficult for me. I get a bit uncomfortable. I tend to think a capable wife who needs her. The passage makes all of my alarm bells ring around gender. A capable wife might sound like a thing, a marker that a good man is meant to possess. The passage brings to mind that old saying, behind every great man is a great woman. The words were once thought to be endearing, used to honor the role women have played in supporting, enabling, lifting up leaders. But we have reached 2019. Why are we still imagining women walking behind men? When will we ask the men for their support? to get behind a great woman. And Christianity and the Bible have treated women as second-class citizens, as support staff, as possessions. And so I find this passage difficult and a bit funny. And I say these words as the son of a woman who's a priest. I'm in the first generation of clergy kids, of clergy moms. I followed my mom into the family business. And honestly, I still find Mother's Day difficult. I have a great mom, but I know too many folks who aren't in the same boat. Not everyone can celebrate this day with brunch and a Hallmark card. Not everyone is close to their mother. A lot of folks have already buried their moms. For some of us, Mother's Day comes with acute pain. For others, it is the dull ache of a long-held grief. I have a hard time with Hallmark holidays like Mother's Day because they don't make room for the complexities of life, for difficulties or loss in relationship. I have a hard time with this Hallmark way of celebrating motherhood. And the same must be said of faith. I have a hard time with a particular kind of Christianity. I know a great deal of churches where Mother's Day will be celebrated with great gusto. Moms will be brought up front in the congregation and presented with roses, or let's be more realistic, with carnations, because what, budget has, uh, what church has a budget for roses for all the moms? But if receiving flowers on Mother's Day has been meaningful for you in the past, if giving your mom flowers on Mother Day, Mother's Day is meaningful, I don't want to take that away. But I'm not going to make it a program here at Holy Communion. We won't give out carnations here from the church 
because I worry that emphasizing motherhood in the church this way, it leans into our culture's limited expectations of women. When the church holds up to a very particular kind of womanhood as the ideal, by default, that church lines out, limits, and excludes folks who don't live up to that ideal, or who have no interest in that ideal, for whom this vision of personhood has never resonated or hasn't resonated fully. When we hold up a particular image of motherhood, we exclude those who haven't known that kind of mother. And we exclude the women and men, the folks who might not be our biological moms, but have shown us nurturing, mothering love. I don't want anyone feeling left out on Mother's Day. At its best, at its best, our faith tells stories that challenge our society's limited vision. At its best, our faith teaches about a God who blesses all sorts of surprising women. Women who challenge the status quo. Think of Mary. Think of Ruth. At its best, the church makes room to celebrate the blessing of very diverse ways of living into our call to be women, to be men, to be people who serve as leaders and supporters. If we believe in a God who is greater than we are, surely our faith should inspire us to move beyond our own preconceptions. Surely our faith should inspire us to be larger. The church lost two of our best voices this week for this large vision. Two of the writers and teachers who helped inspire their small corners of the faith. John Vanier and Rachel Held Evans. You may not have heard of John Vanier. He would have been delighted if you hadn't. John was a humble Canadian. After serving in World War II and earning a PhD in philosophy, Vanier left behind a career in the academy. John bought a small house in the north of France and invited two men with intellectual disabilities to come and live with him moving them out of the asylum, the state institution where they had lived, and into his home. The community they founded together, called L'Arche, has grown into an international movement. There are L'Arche communities in 35 countries. There's a L'Arche community in Bethlehem, in Palestine, where Jesus was born. There's one right here in St. Louis. Jean Vanier did not simply pioneer a new way of caring for people with disabilities. Rather, he believed that all of us have a great deal to learn from those who have so-called disabilities. He called them something else. He called those with intellectual difference the core members of the community. And those we usually called able-bodied, he called assistants. In an interview a few years ago with Krista Tippett, Jean Vanier spelled out the hope that his little L'Arche community held for him in our troubled times. He said this, What has happened? What I sense for the future of our poor little world, with all its ecological difficulties and financial difficulties, that maybe the big thing that's going to happen is that little lights of love will spread over the country. Little places where people love each other and welcome the poor and the broken, where we give to each other the gifts and have these little places will never hit the headlines, 
but we'll be creating these little lamps. And if there are a sufficient number of little lamps in each village, in each city, or parts of the city, well, then the glow will be just a little bit greater. John Vanier did not imagine a movement that would try and take over the world. He started a community, a community that has grown, that has breathed life into relationships, where people learn together, where the disabled are teachers and neighbors, where those who were not treated with love are brought to the center. You may have never heard of Jean Vanier, but the world glows a little bit brighter because of his life. You're more likely to have heard of Rachel Held Evans. She also held up a lamp. Rachel was one of the early bloggers, and she was a force on Twitter. Rachel Held Evans wrote of a Christian faith that was generous, that embraced LGBTQ people, that lifted up women's voices. And Rachel practiced what she wrote. She amplified the voices of other women, of queer Christians, and of people of color. This week, the hashtag, because of RHE, Rachel Held Evans, trended. Several Christian leaders I admire, priests in our own denomination, wrote how Rachel inspired them, inspired them to seek ordination, to see themselves as capable of leadership. Held Evans' first major book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, launched her onto the New York Times bestseller list. The book is a memoir of taking different themes from the Bible and living them out month by month. Before she converted to Episcopalianism, Rachel Held Evans had been an evangelical. She wanted to live out the Bible as literally as she could to see how that went. She included this description from Proverbs 31. Rachel Held Evans tried to live as the capable wife for a month. Here's how she described the project. I started by attempting to turn the poem into a to-do list, which should never be done, <laughs> and which resulted in a 16-item list that included everything from lifting weights each morning, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong, to making a purple dress to wear, she makes coverings for herself, her clothing is fine linen and purple, and knitting scarves for my husband, when it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She said she had quite a bit of fun with the one that went, uh, her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She made a homemade sign and praised her husband at the city gate. <laughs> Within a few weeks, though, she found herself exhausted. She says, I'd, found, I'd started and unraveled at least two scarves, broken the old second-hand sewing machine I'd dug out of my closet, and cursed the picture of Martha Stewart smiling glibly from the cover of my cookbook. <laughs> I'd embarrassed myself at Hobby Lobby by crying in the fabric aisle. <laughs> Finally, Rachel asked an Orthodox Jewish friend whether she also found this to-do list of Proverbs 31 exhausting. Her friend explained to her that in Jewish households, this scripture is understood not as a to-do list, but as a poem that praises women for their strength. She said that every Sabbath, her husband sings the poem to her, 
And it's special because she knows that no matter what she does or fails to do during the week, she will be praised as a blessing to her family. Inspired by her conversation with her friend, Rachel retranslated Proverbs 31. This idea of the capable wife, it comes to us from the King James Version. Sometimes King James, King James Version gets it just right. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We use the King James from the psalm this morning because it's so beloved. But sometimes our faith got it wrong. Sometimes our translations were wrong. Capable wife is one of those examples. Rachel Held Evans translated the, the words eshet hayil from the Hebrew differently. More literally, it turns out. She rendered this Proverbs 31 woman not as a capable wife, but as a woman of valor. Changes the whole tone of the passage, doesn't it? A woman of valor. Who can find her? She is to be praised. Rachel's is a voice that will be missed. But because of Rachel Held Evans, a whole generation of women and men and folks of valor have found their voices, have risen to be preachers and leaders and writers, and yes, mothers who care for their families. She wrote and organized and made room for folks of all genders to see themselves as capable, to see themselves as brave, to see themselves as nurturers, and to challenge the status quo. Like Jean Vanier, Rachel Held Evans lifted a lamp and made the world just a little brighter. And today we give thanks for a woman of valor. We give thanks for her courage, for her witness, for her laughter. Today we give thanks for all who have mothered and midwifed our faith. We give thanks for those who have taught kindness, who have clothed themselves with strength and dignity. We give thanks for the women and men and folks of valor who have made room for us in this crazy faith, who have had the courage to translate sometimes oppressive traditions into new ways of being and made room for more. We mourn the loss, yes. In the church, we make room for grief. If you're feeling grief, that's okay. But we also give thanks. We give thanks even in the midst of, great, uh, of grief. We give thanks for the vision that these saints have shared with us. Today I want to give Rachel Held Evans the last word. Here it is. Imagine if every church became a place where everyone is safe, but no one is comfortable. Imagine if every church became a place where we told one another the truth. We might just create sanctuary. Amen. <laughs>